It really is. The last time I was here, by invitation from the Reverend, right Reverend Matt Davis, uh, um, uh, he's watching, uh, hello Matt, uh, you know, uh, that I was act, uh, invited to give a couple of messages that would introduce the uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I did that, and I remember I apologized because the messages were taking the form of lectures. I remember I had PowerPoint here, and, and it was a little bit uh, more uh, content lecture-oriented uh, than a sermon. Uh, I didn't apologize for that, but I did explain it, trying to set uh, the Messiah in Matthew and how Matthew presents him, and how Matthew presents him as a new Moses, and I think I ended with uh, Jesus going up on the uh, Mount of Beatitudes uh, uh, to deliver one of what really are five discourses in the book of Matthew. You all remember that, of course. If you remember that, say amen. Wow, wow, good, good. More than I realized, uh, you know. So five times it says, and when Jesus ended these sayings, blah, 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 blah. And when, when it says that, you look back and you see a discourse that he gave five times. And if Jesus is the new Moses, and Moses was the author of the Pentateuch, the five books, namely of Moses, uh, here is uh, Jesus ascending the mount to deliver really a new Torah, a new law, uh, not abolishing the old law, but showing what the old law really was meant to be in the first place. You have heard it said unto them, this, this, and this, but I say unto you, I came not to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. Anyway, that was my task back in the second and third Sunday of February. And I've followed along uh, as I've gotten the emails as you are working through that new Torah, that delivering of the new Torah from the new Moses uh, from, uh, from the Mount, not Mount Sinai, but from the Mount of Beatitudes. Now, I came today not knowing that I'm also introducing something else. I didn't notice it until I looked in the bulletin, uh, you know. Turn to Hebrews, Hebrews, okay, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and our text today is verses 1 to 3, and I'm seeing in the bulletin that uh, someone, and I guess it's not Matt Davis because he, he can't be here today, uh, 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 he just told me that this morning, but whoever uh, the person is, I'm introducing the book of Hebrews without even realizing that that was my task today, Okay. <laughs> Who is the one who is teaching? Uh, where? Where? You're the one. Okay, good. All right, good. I'm sorry. I don't want to steal any of your, your thunder, uh, but hopefully this will uh, orient the folks uh, for your study. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, let me say this is a familiar text. Familiar text. One of the most familiar texts in the book of Hebrews. And sometimes familiarity can breed contempt. Uh, that shouldn't be true, uh, but uh, it is. 
Uh, John 3.16, oh, ho-hum, John 3.16, whoa, <laughs> don't, don't let familiarity breed contempt, but sometimes it is. So we are told here, uh, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, uh, the pioneer, as I call it, and perfecter of the faith. And um, um, uh, so, so that's what we are told to do. Now, uh, uh, the book of Hebrews wants us to focus on Jesus. And that's what I want to do this morning as we uh, try, try to jump in here. Uh, and I'll try to orient you where Hebrews 12 is in the big picture of the book of Hebrews, not stealing anything from my uh, brother uh, there. But I call your attention to the outline on the back of the bulletin uh, where we look at the witnesses who encircle us, secondly, the weights uh, that entangle us, and thirdly, the winner who encourages us. Now, Familiarity can breed contempt, but we're going to take a fresh look at this because I think sometimes Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 and 3 uh, uh, need uh, to be re-examined because of some of the things, some of the ideas we have about what uh, the writer is saying. Now, I say the writer, uh, you know, uh, it, it may be Paul, uh, 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 but uh, I personally don't feel that way, but it doesn't really matter. He's an inspired apostle, uh, and, and, and he tells us that, and it comes with equal authority to anything by Paul or John or anything like that. Some have thought it's Barnabas, the uh, colleague of Paul. Well, I'll just say the author, and we'll leave it at that, because he doesn't identify himself uh, in the book. Now, uh, 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 what's going on here is this. Seeing we are uh, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That's the first thing I want you to see. The witnesses who encircle us. Now, I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is a revision of the New American Standard Bible. And the reason I'm reading from it is that Somebody's got to read from it. So one of the translators is going to read from it. Okay, good. So uh, that was a, a task that we had for about a year. And uh, I remember working on Hebrews. So I read from the Legacy Standard Bible. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us, that's you and me, Run with endurance the race that is set uh, before us. Uh, fixing our eyes, very strong word here, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we conclude with verse 3, for consider him who has endured such uh, hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary fainting in heart. Okay? Now, first of all, the witnesses who encircle us. Let me 
suggest another way of looking at this than I think the way we envision it. Now, obviously, this is a race. He says that very clearly. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, okay? Uh, So the the picture here is a race. And uh, when it says, we have so great a cloud of witnesses, in case you missed it, chapter 11 comes before chapter 12. That's very important. Okay, good. Uh, That's why he's saying, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. He's referring back to the men and women, and I say men and women, both, uh, in chapter 11. And he says, since we are circled around with them, then let us run our race with endurance. So who were these witnesses who encircle us? Very clearly, It's the over 20 people, can you believe that? In the hall of fame of faith, which comprises that great chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith. Uh, The the, uh, NFL has a hall of fame. The NBA has a hall of fame. Uh, The uh, Major League Baseball has a hall of fame. God's hall of fame is right here in chapter 11. And certainly, that's who he's referring to. But let me suggest that the idea that they are in this stadium, and stadiums were very common in the ancient Roman world, uh, stadiums uh, just like they are today, uh, on a track stadium, the, uh, the uh, runners are running around the track, and then in the stands are the spectators. And oftentimes, that's the impression that we get here. And it's because of this word, witnesses, all right? Let me suggest something else to you. It's often thought of that they are witnessing our race, okay? They are witnessing, it, and we are running along, and, and, and they're watching us. Let me suggest that there's another idea of witness here rather than spectators. Who are these people? These are people not who are spectators. These are people who ran the race, okay? And they reached the finish line. They're not in the stands witnessing our race like that. They are in the stands giving witness, or you might even say they are circled around the finish line, like in a circle, all right? And as we approach uh, that end, we are surrounded, we are reminded that we're surrounded by these people who have given witness to the power and the permanence and the reality of faith. They are not witnessing our race. They are giving a witness. Uh, So we can say, now, a a, a person who is a witness is a person who saw something, okay? But when they're in court, what are they doing? They are giving witness. They, They are giving witness to what they saw. And that, I think, is the idea. Not so much that they're witnessing our race, there is some question whether or not uh, the, the departed are looking at us. I hope they're not. <laughs> I hope they're not. Uh, that, uh, that the saints who have gone before us into glory are looking down at us. 
I think heaven's supposed to be a happy place, you know. And if they're witnessing my mess and the mess that I make, uh, you know, ma- you know, uh, you know, are, are making of life, I'm not sure that's going to make them happy. You, you following me? Uh, uh, okay. So, so, uh, so, uh, I'm not. Uh, I don't think it, they're witnessing us. They're giving witnesses. They're giving witness. Excuse me. And uh, uh, look back at chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it that is faith the people of old gained approval actually it's the same word that is used in chapter 11 and and so it could be translated by it the people of old gave witness gave witness they testified to the power uh, uh, of faith and, and so by, by saying I'm going to give you the witnesses here it's not witnesses of us it's those who are giving witness uh, 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 Noah give us your witness okay uh, uh, excuse me Enoch Enoch give us your witness by faith Enoch was taken up that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him up for prior to his taking up, he was, he, he was given witness as being pleasing to God. So uh, 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 Enoch is giving a witness that I trusted God and look what he did for me. He translated me. Uh, Noah uh, gave a witness. Uh, when he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, verse 7, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. Noah gives witness. Abraham gives witness. Abraham, was it worth it? And I think he would say, you know, uh, when, when I said to my wife, honey, we're leaving, she says, where are we going? And I said, I don't know. Uh, Sarah, you know, uh, you know, uh, be a little bit sympathetic to Sarah. Uh, if I said to my wife, honey, we're going on vacation. And she said, where are we going? And I said, I don't know, but we're going. You know, a woman, you know, I, I mean, a woman's wanting, uh, how cold is it? How hot is it? Is it going to rain? What do I pack? Ba 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 A woman prepares, Okay. Trust me, woman, trust me. She's going to have to have a lot of trust. You know, uh, what do I pack? I, I don't know. I don't, well, what, what, who, you, who told you this? God. Didn't he tell you where you're going? He, he said, no. He just said, go and I'll show you after you start. It's going to take faith, right? It's going to take faith of Sarah and Abraham. It's going to take faith of Abraham and God. Ah, wow. Was it worth it? Yes, it was worth it. It was worth it. Abraham gives witness to the power of faith. And it goes on and on and on. Isaac and Jacob and and, and Joseph and Moses and and, and, and David and Samuel and the prophets and the the women uh, and Sarah. uh, And the women, it says, uh, 
over 20 people, some of whom are unnamed. Uh, it says women saw uh, their, uh, their uh, uh, loved ones raised from the dead. So, so over and over and over, we are surrounded, we are encircled by witnesses who, who, who say faith is worth it. I trusted him even though I didn't know the outcome. He provided the outcome. That encourages us. So therefore, uh, seeing we are, as the King James says, compassed about, uh, uh, surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses saying, keep going, guy. Keep going, girl. God is faithful. Trust him. I'm giving witness to that fact. So that's the witnesses who encircle us. Now keep that in mind. Because what was the five letter word that enabled them to give witness? Faith. All right, remember that. All right, remember that. Now, secondly, the weights that entangle us. Uh, seeing we uh, have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The weights that entangle us. Now notice two things here. Every weight... And then the sin which so easily entangles us. If we're going to run this race, we're going to run it by faith. Something that's going to slow us down are two things. Entangling sin that we can't get rid of that just slows us down in the race. Habits that we've been unable to break. We've got to lay them aside. But not only sinful habits, and I'm not going to like name six sinful habits that you have, because I don't know you. And he doesn't say what those sinful uh, habits are that entangle us. You know what they are. You know what's tripping you, what's causing you to slow down. But I want to say that's negative, but there's something else here that I want to focus in on here. Lay aside every weight, okay? Now, clearly sin is condemned by God and we've got to get rid of those entangling sins. Doesn't mean we become perfect, but I think it's talking about habits, sinful habits that we have that slow us down, that cause us to trip up. We got to get rid of those sinful habits. And since he doesn't name them, I'm not going to try to name them because I think you know what sinful habits you have that's entangling you. What I want to suggest is something else. Lay aside every weight. Weight. Weights are not sins that entangle us. Weights are those things that slow us down. And they're not necessarily wrong in themselves. Sins are wrong. But there's some other things that slow us down. Some weights. You ever heard of Alison Felix? 
If you haven't, may God have mercy on you. If you haven't heard of Allison Felix, okay? You know, Allison uh, is the daughter of a former uh, seminary professor, former colleague of mine, Paul Felix. Uh, Allison went to L.A. Baptist uh, in the valley, uh, and uh, the ninth grade, a coach discovered this girl can run. So he encouraged her to run. And then she went on, even before she had uh, gotten into uh, the university, she was running competitively and winning races, and then she hit the Olympics, and nobody has ever gained medals in running like Allison Felix. And she's a, also a wonderful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Allison, when you see her run, she doesn't wear a robe, okay? You know, she comes onto the track with a robe, oh, okay, then she takes it on and she gets down and she runs. Now, is it illegal for her to run with a robe? No, but it would be stupid, it would be stupid to run with that athletic robe about. She lays aside the robe, which is not banned. It's not illegal, but it would slow her down. You with me? There are sins that entangle us, folks, and there are weights that aren't necessarily wrong in themselves, but they slow us down. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Now, you're wondering, well, what's he talking about? I don't want to start naming them. Because the weight that slows you down may not be the weight that slows me down. The weight that slows me down may not be the weight that slows you down. I can't tell you. That's why he doesn't name it. You ought to know. These weights that slow us down, we got to get rid of them. Now, don't you dare say it's my spouse. <laughs> God forgive you if you say something stupid like that. We're talking about not cussing and drinking and, you know, and all of those things that we were referred to that way in the South, cussing and drinking, you know, and, uh, you know, and all of that. We're talking about, I'm not going to say it. What is the weight that's slowing you down? Get rid of it. Rip off that robe so you can run unencumbered. All right? That's going to enable us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Decide today you're going to get rid of it. Or right, it's going to always slow you down now that's the witnesses who encircle us then the weights that entangle us I want to spend most of the rest of the time on the winner who encourages us because we're not in this race alone we've not only got those 20 plus people that inspire us that have given witness to the power of faith that testify to us that we can finish this race the way they did. We've got someone else. And that's in verse 2. The winner who encourages us. L fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, fixing our eyes on him, consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will grow weary, fainting in heart. Who do we look to for inspiration in this race? Do we look to Allison? No, we don't look to Allison. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And we fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of faith. Now, twice in the book of Hebrews, the writer tells us to look at Jesus. Keep your finger here and turn back to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Twice he says, look at Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Consider, look at Jesus. And in each of these two occasions, here and in Hebrews chapter 12, two titles of the Lord Jesus are given. In 3.1, he's called the apostle and high priest. The apostle is the sent one. And if you look in chapter 1, you see prophets who were sent to Israel. We see angels who were sent uh, uh, for us. So the sent ones uh, are the prophets and the angels. And guess what? Jesus is better than them all. Again, I'm not stealing anything from you, brother. But one of the key words in the book of Hebrews is better. The prophets were great. Jesus is better. The angels are great, not the Los Angeles angels. Uh, the angels are great. Jesus is better. Enoch was good. Jesus is better. Moses was good. Jesus is better. Abraham was good. Jesus is better. The high priest was good. Jesus is better. The book of Hebrews is not saying the old is bad and the new is good. It's saying the old was good and the new is gooder. Well, at least I got your attention. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. You know, English is so regular. Pretty, prettier, and prettiest. Oh, oh, no, pretty, prettier, and prettiest. Excuse me. Good, better, and best. Well, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, it, no. But you get the idea of better. The writer of Hebrews is not saying the old is bad. It's great. But the new is greater. That's what he's saying there. So uh, the, uh, he says, consider the apostle and high priest. High priest, are you aware? Don't answer this yes or no. Answer it in your head. Are you aware the only place in the New Testament that calls our Savior a high priest is the book of Hebrews? We are indebted to the book of Hebrews for this wonderful vision of the Lord Jesus as our high priest. You don't remember it. I don't expect you to remember it. But a year ago, at the beginning of March, I came here. My first Sunday here. And Matt Davis stood there. Do you remember? Remember? And he read an email from a pastor 
forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a 98% affirmative vote. And he said, I'm not coming. So he's not coming, folks. All right, Will, time for you to preach. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. (laughs) And I looked out at some disappointed folks. And I had already planned on preaching on if Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For he is not untouched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was feeling in pain with us in all of our weaknesses. I'm paraphrasing. Therefore, let us come with boldness to the throne of grace. And here's what it said, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I said, thank you, Lord, for giving me this message today. I had no idea that they were going to be hit with this news. And I tried to say, we can come to our high priest for grace to help in time of need. And you had a time of need, as you still do, and you need to come boldly to the throne of grace. The book of Hebrews says the high priest is there to give us that grace and help. And he's still there. And you know what? He's finished the race, <laughs> he's qualified. So now back to Hebrews chapter 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Sometimes author is pioneer. I like pioneer. Couldn't convince my fellow translators to choose pioneer over author, but it's the same idea. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now I want to say this. Notice, pioneer and perfecter of the faith. What has he just been talking about in chapter 11? People who finish the race by faith. What is often missed, and it's because of the chapter division, is that he is concluding the chapter on the great heroes of the faith with chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Jesus is a member of this hall of fame. And we don't often think about it that. And it's because of the chapter break that we miss it. The Hall of Fame is not ended. The Hall of Fame begins with creation, continues with Abel, and continues with Enoch and Noah. And it doesn't end with that mob of people that he mentions at the end of chapter 11. It ends with Jesus Jesus is the last mentioned person in this hall of fame of faith. That's why it says he is the author and perfecter of the faith. Jesus, like Enoch, like Noah, like Abraham, finished the race just like they did and is the example for us so that we can finish the race. 
That's why he's the pioneer and perfecter of faith, of the faith. The faith that they had, Jesus is the pioneer of it. The faith that they had, Jesus is the perfecter of that. They finished the race. Guess what? Jesus finished the race. And if we want to finish the race, we better fix our eyes on Jesus. You think you're having a hard time. I don't want to limit that. I'm sure you are. You think you're having a hard time. Come with me to Gethsemane and I'll show you a hard time. I don't want to drink it. I don't want to drink it. Take it. That's Jesus. Given the cup of suffering by his father. And in his humanity, he says, I don't want to drink it. Take this cup from me. The son of God, the sinless son of God. In his humanity, struggled with the finishing the race because he knew to finish that race, it was the suffering that he had to go through. Hebrews 5 actually says it. Listen to this. He in the days of his flesh, 5-7, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. He could have said, save me from death, Father. I don't want to drink this cup. I'm not going to drink it. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which, from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became, having become perfect. Now, it's not that Jesus was sinful. That's not what perfect means. Perfect means whole. He was not whole until he finished the course. And there in, in Gethsemane, he says, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Take this cup from me. <clears throat> Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he drank the cup for us. He became the author of eternal salvation to all that believe because he endured the cross. He despised the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished the race. And while we want to look at Enoch, we want to look at Noah, yeah. We want to look at Jesus. When life has dealt you hardship in this race, don't give up. Look back at those guys and those gals, yes. But look ultimately, that's why he says, fixing our eyes on him. For consider him who has endured. The third time he's used the word endured. You notice that? I just noticed it this morning. 
I've preached on this before. Yeah, I've preached on it before. But I never realized three times endurance and endured is in this verse. Verse 1, let us run with endurance. Verse 2, he endured the cross. Verse 3, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Consider him. He will help you to endure, dear one. The winner who encourages us. So while the Hall of Fame is worth looking at, Jesus is worth stopping and focusing on. (laughs) Fix our eyes on him. Why? Somehow I believe it says here, it says here, the joy set before him. And I think if we go back into Gethsemane there and we go back to that terrible time of struggling with the, with the cup, he had a vision. He had a vision of resurrection. He had a vision of ascension. And he had a vision of being welcomed to the right hand of his father. And he says, this is worth it what I'm going through. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Dear one, you've got to look at the end, not at the process. Because if you look at the process, you'll get discouraged. You'll get discouraged. But look at Jesus with that cup of suffering saying, I've got to do this because on the other side of this cup is the glory. And that's going to enable me to drink this cup, Jesus says. So you don't want to grow weary in the race? You know, at the age of 39, I'm starting, I'm starting to get tired. Some of you young folks don't remember. Was it Jack Benny? He was always 39, you know. Was it Jack Benny? I know. Or was he Ozzie and Harriet? Or was it, who is it? Say goodnight, Gracie. Again, who was it? Anyway, he was always 39. Well, since I'm 39, you know, I get tired. You can get tired at 29 of running the Christian race. You can get tired of it. You can get tired, not of it, but tired in it. That's the time you got to look at the winner. The winner who's standing at the finish line and says, keep coming, keep coming, don't give up. I didn't. Endure, keep coming. Look at me, keep your eyes on me, okay? That's what, that's how we're going to finish. That's how we're going to finish. I've never said this. My wife says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Stay with me because this is going to sound like I'm bragging. Stay with me. I have five earned degrees. You don't need that many. When I started my doctorate, I had four 
degrees. And three of them were graduate degrees. I told the people at at Temple University, I said, can I trade three of these in for a doctorate? They said, no, it doesn't work that way. So my wife and my family had to endure another degree, five degrees. Then you say, why are you bragging? Stay with me. Stay with me. I've written some books. I just sent book number 18 to the publisher. This sounds like I'm bragging, but stay with me. 18 books. And you know what? I have to remind myself every now and then five degrees, 18 books, it's still all about Jesus. Whether you got one degree or you're two degrees below zero. (laughs) For the person with five degrees, it's all about Jesus. You say, I've never written an essay. It's okay. Okay. I've written 18 books. So what? It's all about Jesus. The reason I'm saying that and the reason why I hope you think I'm not bragging is this. I've read dozens of books about the Christian life. Many of them very good. But after all those degrees and all those books, it's all about Jesus. And it's all about him whether you have a degree or whether you've written anything. It's keeping your eyes on Jesus. I remember a guy that used to go around giving seminars, basic youth conflicts. You don't mention him now. And I remember he had nine steps to this. I don't know if you remember this guy. He had 12 steps to this. He had 15 steps to this. And sometimes he had only three steps to this. I like that. And after that whole week of 19 steps, 20 steps, three steps, I said, what if I forget number eight and I don't get to nine? (laughs) What if I forget? Maybe we've made things too complex, people. Maybe we've made things too complex. You don't have to memorize all 15 steps. It's fix your eyes on Jesus. And the reason I said what I just said is that's true whether you've written one book or no books. It's keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I once heard a guy stood up in a testimony meeting and he said this. He said, I was saved by my good looks. And we looked at him and said, I don't know how you got in, buddy. But then he elaborated. Isaiah 45, 22 says, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be saved. And I looked to the Lord and I was saved. And Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus. So I've kept looking unto Jesus and I've been saved. And finally, Titus 2.13 says, looking for the blessed hope. So it began with a look. It continues with a look. And I'm still looking for Jesus. I'm saved by my good looks. And we all said amen.
The Christian life commences by looking to Jesus. It continues by looking to Jesus. And it concludes by looking to Jesus. So that's what I, why I said what I just said. Let's don't make this thing more complex than it is. In your marriage, look to Jesus. In your student life, look to Jesus. In your job that you're not looking forward to at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, keep your eyes on Jesus. And run with endurance the race that is set before us. He finished so you can finish. I can finish. But we won't finish if we take our eyes off of him. My favorite, one of my favorite movies is The Apostle by Robert, with Robert Duvall. It's about a flawed preacher, very flawed. There's two scenes that are famous to me. One, before his fall, Robert Duvall is traveling around and he must be with a convention of African American preachers. Uh, it goes like this. Robert Duvall is is preaching and young African American brothers are out uh, uh, in, in the congregation. <laughs> it, it, it goes like this Who is the lily of the valley? And all the uh, African American brothers say, Jesus. And then he says, Who is the bright and morning star? And they all say, Jesus. And it goes through about six or seven times like this. They said, Jesus. The movie goes on, Robert Duvall character experiences a fall bad one then he runs he runs finally the law catches up to him and while he's giving a sermon the uh, policeman comes in the back door and arrests, arrests him he's having to pay for his crime the final scene is this he's on a chain gang and they're they're uh, excuse me, cutting, cutting uh, uh, grass beside the uh, road. And ro the Robert Duvall character says, and many of them are African-American prisoners. He says, who's the lily of the valley? And they say, Jesus. Who's the bright morning star? And they all go, Jesus. The way it began, the way it ends. I've tried that a couple of times with some white congregations. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> After about three or four times of the congregation saying, Jesus, they start to get quieter and quieter. And after I got to about seven or eight times, they were saying, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. But, you know, without, look beyond that. Robert Duvall learned a lesson that he was preaching and that he failed in. It's all about whom? It's all about Jesus. So, don't we're, no, we're not going to do it today. But if I did, let's do it just twice. Okay? Who's the apostle and high priest of our confession? Jesus. That's pretty good. Who is the author and perfecter of faith? Jesus. Okay. Don't forget it. That's the book of Hebrews. You going to be saved by your good looks? <laughs> I hope you will. Father, thank you for this congregation. 
they've had their highs and their lows, their ups and their downs. And I pray that they would not remove their eyes off of your beloved son. That they would keep looking at him. So that they can run the race with endurance. Leaving aside these besetting sins and these weights. Not letting anything entangle us. And keep our running towards Jesus who finished the race. And inspires us to do the same thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.